This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Willie Anderson, and you're listening to the iTest for Two. No, your ears are not deceiving you because we are back. Yes, we're back for this week's second, second edition of the I Test for Two podcast, as in our two for one week in celebration of the new year. Hello, everyone. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are Hall of Fame voters joined this week as every week by our Hall of Fame producer, Mr. Ian Glendon. So nothing new there. That's business as usual. But this is not. We're also joined by former Cincinnati tackle Willie Anderson, who was a guest on this podcast last year, but not like this, because Willie Anderson is a first time, first time finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, one of 15 for the class of 2022. And Willie, after nine years of eligibility, it's about time. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Thank you, man. God is definitely good. I'm so appreciative of it. Um, it's a big moment in time for my, my family and myself, my friends, ex-teammates. Um, just all enjoying it right now uh, because it came on a surprise and everyone's so happy and uh, and wasn't expecting this whole this, this entire ordeal. Willie, first question. Where were you when you heard it and what was your first reaction when you heard it? I actually uh, watched the end of this lecture show. Um, I never really watched those things and um, told myself I wasn't going to watch it um, this time, but uh, it kind of caught me off guard. I, I was trying to turn my Twitter off so my phone would start buzzing on Twitter, you know, because you kind of expect, you know, you don't know what, you know what, don't know what's going to happen. I, I didn't want anybody texting me on Twitter saying, oh, man, here we go again. Big Willie didn't make it again. And so I, I, I really want to see any of that stuff. But um, the broadcast came on and, um, um, I think Sam Whitehead came down to the last two guys. I said, "Well, I didn't see, I didn't see who all they had already picked already." I think I saw, I saw the wide receivers, and I saw, um, I can't think who the last couple guys. But when they said Tony Baselli, I saw Tony's name, and then I was like, "Well, I wonder who else is it?" And when it came to my name. It just totally threw me by surprise, man. Threw my shock. I had tears in my eyes. Um, my family all called, friends all called. And it was just a crazy day for us. Crazy, crazy day. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I'm sure you heard from a lot of people. What was the most memorable response you got? Just people, um, you know, um, people like my um, um, guy, Big Jim, um, you know, those guys who um, podcast you went on. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Somebody, yeah. Those guys did so much stuff for us, man, as, as ex-Bingles players, not just myself, but other guys like Corey Dillon and Dikio and, and Ocho and all the guys who were part of the senior committee, you know, just for those fans, man, um, who have been, you know, guys, guys, there's, there's several of them, um, people who I've just befriended the last two years during COVID, you know, uh, didn't know that Bengals fans went that hard on social media. And I became friends with those guys the last couple of years. And um, just seeing the reaction of them, it meant so much to me because they, they went so hard on me for, for me for social media. Um, a lot of my students here at my academy, uh, those guys kind of seeing uh, me in the national spotlight, it's pretty cool because I, I downplay everything. I, I kind of downplay my career to all my students in my academy. 
because as a teacher, you never want them to feel um, less than you. But, you know, um, they all called me on group text and group call. So um, all the kids, all the high school kids were, were, were fantastic. And it meant a lot a lot to them that, you know, they got a chance to see Coach in this kind of light right here. Congratulations, Willie. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your case. Uh, I believe it's two weeks from today. It Willie, is. Oh, wow, okay. is the Zoom call. And, um, you know, a lot of those people in that room that day, Willie, they're going to hear things about Willie Anderson that they didn't know about. That's what happened. And mm -hmm. um, somebody's going to get to tell your story, which is fantastic. Uh, Willie, quick question. 2008, you're with the Ravens, and the team had a really good season. And, Willie, I don't know if you remember this game. Yeah. It was late in the season. It was a Saturday night game. You're playing Dallas. You beat them 33-24. Yeah. You ran for about 260 yards. And in that game, Willie, was a guy named Demarcus Ware. And no doubt. he went on to, to have 20 sacks that season, Willie. And he's on the ballot. Um, what do you think about uh, Mr. Demarcus Ware? And uh, what do you remember about him that night? Did you know he was going to be one of the greats? Well, well, ironically, we're, we're both in Alabama, and uh, ironically, we both made the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame this year together. Um, so, uh, knowing about DeMarcus, is, is definitely one of the guys that, that we missed on out of Auburn, right down the road in Detroit State. Um, one, of the, one of the greatest players, I mean, seeing DeMarcus um, up close in person, when you see him, you don't realize how big and tall and massive that he is. And um, um, watching him play, you know, did, did nothing for us the night we played him. He was definitely a monster that night for us, I mean, against us. And, um, you know, one of the all-time great players. You know, watched his career go to Denver and win him a championship, basically doing the same thing he was doing in Dallas, just terrorizing the tackles. So, going about the market for a long time. I mean, we wish we had him at Auburn. And um, um, definitely he and I going into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame this year was um, a great honor for both of us. And, Willie, I want to ask you about a, a teammate, um, you know, the more you look at this guy, Willie, you realize he could have been one of the all-timers. Uh, I guess injuries ended up getting him, but Willie came a year after you did in in, in uh, Cincinnati, and that's Corey Dillon. Um, you know, you look at his first six years, 1,000 yards every year. We know the season he had with New England, uh, Willie, when he went over there and, and won a Super Bowl. Um, yes. What was it like blocking for Corey Dillon, Willie? I always say – if you gave Corey Dillon an adequate passing game, you know, people get mad when I say this. If you give him an adequate passing game, just adequate, he put up Barry Sanders type numbers. And oh. if you go and look at the years that look at the years that he did put those years, those those numbers, those first six years, you've seen we had no passing game. I mean, I mean, he set the NFL record for rushing um against Denver. I wanna say we passed about thirty yards that game. Like he never had a chance to play with a Carson Palmer. Um, never got a chance to play with, you know, uh, obviously the, the, an elite passing game. You know, he faced eight, nine men in the box every game seemed like in Cincinnati. Like, like there's always an extra guy with us telling Corey that, hey, Corey, that last guy, that, that's your guy. So you can't block all of them. You know, and usually okay. your passing game would take that, take those guys out of the box. But he had to face Blaine Bishops and all these guys, take them down in the box game and game after game, and he still put up numbers. Um, so if you gave him a quarterback and gave him a passing game where you know you can, you can back those guys out of the box, I I personally believe, and I think the numbers said too, Corey Dillon put up some historical numbers. If you gave him that, I mean, you gave him the goat 
one year with a couple years with Tom Brady, and he put up 1,600 yards in the Super Bowl. So I, I know it sounds personal, and you read this one year on, 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 on Twitter, and he said, I'm biased, but I think Corey Dillon's one of the all-time greatest running backs. He just never had a pass game and never had the complete team around him to where he can go into the fourth quarter and grind our yards because he was a running back that's built for fourth quarter, grind the, grind the ball out fourth quarter. And you see him um, in, New Orleans, I mean, in New England with Tom Brady and, and with a big-time defense. He put up big-time numbers and, and, and won a championship. We're speaking with Hall of Fame finalist Willie Anderson on the eye test for two. And Willie, we had John Turney, who's an historian for Pro Football Journal on this broadcast last week. And we were talking to him about you. And I said, let me ask you this, John. I've seen it written many times that Willie Anderson faced nine of the top 10 pass rushers in NFL history. And he only gave up one sack, only one. That was to Brooke Smith. Is that accurate? And he said, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at all the film. I don't know. Well, I'm going to ask you, because you're the guy who's directly responsible. Is that right? You only gave up one to nine of the top pass rushers? Is that true? So I know it sounds crazy to people when they hear that, because it, it, it sounded crazy to me when I found that out. Um, but, um, like, uh, several years ago, um, I started my academy up. The Bengals gave me my hard drive of all my games, one of the biggest gifts they could ever give me. And so we started watching the film, my players, and, we started going to see the guys that I went up against. And I remember the Bruce Smith game. I showed a Reggie White game on Twitter and Instagram for the last two, three years. So um, people never believed it. No one believed that I played Julius Peppers in 2006. Uh, Michael Strahan was probably – Michael Strahan and Warren Sapp were two of the, the two of the Hall of Fame guys who came out and did it. Yeah, this guy was a shut-down guy. Uh, people thought I was lying when I first said that. You know, I love Reggie White. God bless him. Rest in peace. I, I wanted to be Reggie White as a kid, as a man. And I started to say, hey, I shut Reggie out in 98. I wouldn't believe it. So when I got the hard drive, I started showing my game just through teaching. Just through teaching my players and teaching teaching guys in the NFL. Because, you know, in, in, in the social media, I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy right now, you know. And, and there was no <laughs> film. There, there was no TFL. You know, where I found out. PFF was my last two years in the league. I had no idea about that. But if you looked at the current stuff that you have now to analyze stuff, you look at PFF, my numbers, when they started looking at uh, guys in 06, my 06 season, my 2008 season, it matches up to everything that I say I've been doing. Like my 2006, my 2006 season, PFF had, had one of the all-time great seasons. My 2008 was one of the all-time great seasons. So I say in 99 through 01, I gave up no sacks and only one pressure. Everything adds up. Like, and I and I have the fence. But the great thing about it, I have the hard drive right in front of me. So people say, "Well, you're the Reggie White fan. You're the Junior Texas fan." And I would just say, "Go." I would just say, "Go ask Julius Peppers. Go ask, you know, Javon Curtis. Go ask. Um, uh, we we've asked Graham already. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, we we uh, you, you can ask Terrell Stubbs. Ask Jason Taylor. These guys that I faced that old film and, and, and the old coaching fans, fans don't lie. And, and, and watch that great film. I put it up for you. Give it to you. I'll come the way you You can watch. We can watch every film of all the guys out there I faced. Oh, Ira's got plenty of time this week. He's going to be down in South Beach, Miami, so he's got plenty of time to watch that. Film. <laughs> Let's do it. Then. 
Hey, uh, Willie, so of, of, of that group, of that group, or maybe it's somebody else, who gave you the most trouble? Who was the guy, I probably fear is not the right word, but who was the guy that you had to, to dial up your best game for? Who was the guy that caused you the most trouble? Well, obviously, all the guys are unbelievable talent. They all give you different problems. Um, just at 23 years old, 1998, I, I was um, I was 340, and I was 23 years old, and I had never had my third year. I, I've never faced a guy who was as strong as me or stronger than me. Um, I just faced Strahan in 97, my second year. Um, after watching him in high school, I was in high school watching him in, um, at, uh, in college. But when I got a chance to face Ricky White, it was, it was just uh, it was a mind-boggling thing because I've never faced anyone who was just as strong with me or stronger. Um, I, I tell a story all the time that, yes, I shut him out, but after the game, like, my entire skeleton was hurting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 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 it's just, it's just a grown man. I, I think Rick is about 36 years old. He, he was leading the league in sacks that year with, 30, with, with 16, 17 sacks. The week prior, he played against Tampa. I played against a guy, uh, my name was Jason Oldham at, at Tampa. And he, and he got a like, three or four sites on Jason Oldham. And, uh, I remember being at home, I said a prayer. I'm like, this is a real live prayer. I said, God, I know that this man is a great man of yours. <laughs> I said, you know, he's, he's a man of God. He's taking up churches and preaching the word. I'm a 23 year old kid that's, that's doing everything, probably the opposite, everything he, he's saying to do. <laughs> I said, I said, the only thing I ask you, God, I don't know if we're going to win. Most likely, we're probably not going to win. I said, but I asked you for strength to not let this man embarrass me because that was like his victory. That was his victory lap, and everybody wanted to see Reggie just go around embarrassing tackles and put guys on their head. So I pray to God that he didn't embarrass me, uh, which he did. Um, but, but he did pick me up one play. He picked me up. Um, all week, I told my fullback, Brian Mill, say, hey, Brian, the way they keep Reggie from getting double team blocked, Chip block is they're going to they're blitz Seth Jordan off the edge. So Seth Jordan's going to make our fullback come out and block him one-on-one. I say, I say, uh, I told Brian Mill and our fullback for Penn State, I said, Brian, whatever you do, don't stand too close behind you because those running backs and fullbacks get, love to get close to tackles behind you when they get a little nervous. So he said, okay, always he said, okay, got in the game, what do you do? Stand right behind me. <laughs> Reggie blitzes. I step on his, I step on Brian's foot. I see Reggie's eyes get super big. I said, oh, my God, he, he see me falling. He grabs Brian Mill, he grabs me, and pick both of us up and take us back to Neil O'Donnell and throw us on top of Neil O'Donnell, but unfortunately, Neil threw the ball away. You might be the ultimate example. We talk about you know great players. For bad teams, uh, I tried to make a case, uh, Willie, for Tommy Nobis. You know, used to play for the Falcons, linebacker, Falcons, great Falcons, player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Willie, he, he never played in the playoff game. He never played in a playoff game his entire career. So, Willie, your first nine years, I mean nine years, the Bengals didn't have a winning record. There was a couple of eight and eights in there. Um, mm -hmm. And then you finally got in the playoffs in 05. So, Willie, for those nine years – uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it was personal pride on your part that just carried the day. Personal pride. You're out of the playoffs by Thanksgiving every year. What, what was it like going through those first nine years? 
man, to kill spice, and I like to say, uh, we, we hated being home, having barbecues, watching guys play in December and January. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's usually what guys did in Atlanta. They would have cookouts and watch other guys play. And um, I remember that first year of finally, you know, making the 05 my 10th season. I felt so good that I wasn't going to be at home at a cookout watching playoff football. And um, even though it was short-lived, you know, Carson ended up getting hurt. But like you say, personal pride is what, 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 what takes you through those lean years. Because, you know, sometimes you're not, you're not, you're not surrounded about the creative of teams. You know, um, things didn't happen for me like that before we started having a chance until Marvin got there and, and changed things up. You know what I mean? I was just, I don't know if you call it fortunate or unfortunate enough to be able to play that long and, and play at the same spot to kind of see things uh, change for the better. Um, but I can say, personal pride and, and you know, knowing that people around the, around the NFL, are gonna, they're going to see you. Your film, like I said earlier, your film is going to be all you have. And um, my thing was, you know, I was a young guy in my 20s. Back then, Atlanta, a lot of NFL players lived in Atlanta. And I wanted to have there to have, like I said, personal pride. When a guy saw me out somewhere at a club or wherever it may be, I wanted to be able to hold my head up and say, yeah, you guys made to beat us, but we threw the ball 35, 40 times. And you slipped the quarterback. <laughs> and so that was my personal individual thing that, you know, that's, that's all you can have during those league years. And then, fortunately, uh, the team got better, and I was still playing at a high level as an old man and, uh, and, and got a chance to go to, uh, you know, the AFC championship game at the end of my career with Baltimore. So you're right. Those first nine years were, were very hard years. And, and the only thing you have during those times is your personal pride as a man, as a football player, want to put your best on film, you know, to the best of your ability. Willie, last one for me. Congratulations again. And uh, I uh, look forward to hearing uh, your story in, in a couple of weeks. Willie, quickly, um, just tell the story about why you moved from left tackle to right tackle in uh, in year two? What 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 happened in Cincinnati? So great question. So um, ninety six, I came in. They already had a guy by the name of Melvin Two, starting left tackle out, out of Syracuse. So I was pretty much drafted to be um, uh, my great mentor, Joe Walters, uh, replacing that right tackle. The things happened with Two. Um, he got hurt. Didn't play that well. I moved in. I was I was a late signee as a rookie. I started um, six games of the season. I started playing left tackle. So play left tackle for ten games. I'm thinking I'm I'm, I'm starting left tackle. Um, now the reason was two Melvin two was hurt. We had a guy by the name of Kevin Sargent who was a previous left tackle before even two. So Kevin Sargent was a lighter guy um, from Seattle. He was starting left tackle before two was. So but Sargent missed my entire rookie season with a, with a neck injury. So we come back into the second season. Um, they came to me, and I'll never forget it, because um, Dan, Big Daddy Wilkerson, told me on the outside, he said, hey, he said, he said, whatever you do, don't let them change back from left side to right. I said, why? He said, man, your legacy is going to be, and I was a young kid, I had no idea what legacy meant. And that stuff. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he said, man, your legacy going to be tarnished if, if they move you. And the reason for moving me, they told me that, you know, Kevin Sargent couldn't play right tackle. Um, back then, just the biggest defensive end on that side of the ball. Everybody ran the football back in the mid-90s. We had bigger defensive ends over there. And, and, and the, the, the excuse to me was Kevin Sargent 
couldn't play right tackle. Um, he, they just said he wasn't big enough, wasn't physical enough. And I kind of, and I, I, I love to tell people that I fell for it. I should have, looking back now, I should have fought it more. But I really didn't think think it mattered. I, I didn't think I didn't know I didn't know that I was 21, 21 years old. I, I didn't know that matter. I, um, I just knew the guys that I faced were, were facing were some of the top guys. And every year that I played on the Bengals, I would just say the Bengals best off of the line. Like whoever played left tackle, there was never a year where a guy was better than me who was playing all the left tackle. So looking back, I kind of regret it. You know what I mean? I, I even asked uh, Paul Alexander and guys why they moved me. Um, but, you know, you know and, and that was the answer. You know, they, they, they needed a bigger, stronger guy over the right side. You know, we'll run the football and you get, get, get the bigger, deeper things that side. And like I say, looking back, I wish I wouldn't have done it now because I, I, I know the perception of people. But the, the, the blind side, I'm going to tell you about it, the blind side, the whole blind side myth, it kind of went away in the late, late 90s because guys start coming from everywhere. If you take the quarterback, your quarterback looks to his left, his left at the quarterback. He now cannot see Michael Strahan. All right, so it's, it's not. I, I, I know folks have been talking and said, "Well, the blind side is the blind side." Look at all the cyclists right now. You got you got Watt, uh, the, the two Watt brothers. They're all over right tackle. Right. It, it, it don't yeah. matter. I mean, it, it'll change, but the perception of sports writing over the years with the Lawrence Taylor whole idea. I understand that. That was super big. But in the mid-90s, that changed. And, you know, so the blind side is not what a quarterback's back to. It's where he can't see his eyes perspective. Once your eyes go down the field, the quarterback, you're blind spots everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, I've been fighting that for years trying to explain to reporters that the whole blind side is, is, is not a big issue as people think, think it is. The blind side is everywhere. I mean, guys looking right at Aaron Jones, he's still putting up that big sack. I'm glad you mentioned that, Willie, because as Ira mentioned, we vote on January 18th. And in, in sort of prefacing that vote, I wonder if you can tell us what voters should know about you that they don't. Is there one thing about you that they don't know that they should going into this vote? One thing they know? I mean... If you ask anybody, man, I, I'm a, I'm a, I was super competitive, and, um, mm-hmm. super competitive, and that, that that competitiveness made me go from being a guy known being a role grade offensive lineman to a guy who, who was a technical sound pass protector, and that, that competitiveness made me want to study guys, and, 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 and made me, you know, um, down two or three touchdowns, you know. As a, as a tackle, being down all the dark on time, and you're always pass blocking. That's self pride and, and, and competitiveness. That's, that's all you have to live off of because it's now you against the world now. You know, you know, and people love to say, "Oh, the guys." You know, it was so it was so easier. I mean, guys who are winning football teams, but look how hard it is for a tackle to be on a losing football team to constantly be down and out, down and out, and, and you're playing at a top level, stressing guys out. And you know, uh, you know, we can't play defense. You know, we, we can't play defense. We can't stop guys from scoring. All this do is do our job, our job at a, at a high competitive level. And uh, I feel like I've done that. I, I mean, my, my period will tell you I've done that. And uh, my entire career, I was quiet about it. I played the offensive line role. You know, be quiet and be humble. 
but you know, in this, in this Hall of Fame world, if you don't speak up, no one will ever pay attention. I just thank God you guys, you know, finally paid attention because my career took took someone paying attention to look at it. You know, what I mean, it, it, it wasn't a flash in the light. It took somebody to really to really look at it and say, "Oh, this guy was really was a really great player." So I'm just fortunate and thankful you guys looked at my career, and I'm, I'm honored by that. Well, we're fortunate and honored to have you on this show, Willie. And I'm going to ask you one last one. I'll, I'll throw you the softball here, let you hit it out of the park. What pleasure do you take in watching this year's Bengals? Uh, they've won their first title, division title, since 2015. What pleasure do you take in watching them? And is this the year they finally win a playoff game? Man, I take super pleasure in it because uh, I remember how that 05 season felt for us. We finally got over the belt and it was guys like it was guys like uh, Richard Brand, longtime center we had. Uh, guys like Ron Simmons, guys that who were there for the nineties. Guys like you mentioned for nine, ten years, guys have never never received that kind of success. To finally get that success and finally win that division championship, you know, I, I feel I feel elated for those guys because I understand the feeling and I understand the feeling how it feels to be a Cincinnati Bengals and take all the national heat that, that we took. Like, it was similar with us, with Carson Palmer. Oh, the Bengals are going to ruin Carson Palmer's career. And, and so to see Joe Burrow kind of, you know, go through a knee injury, similar to Carson, to bounce back, you know, similar to what Carson did, and, and have a great season, which we have in the season. Let me just say good, man. And we want to make, um, make sure they, they go, you know, I'm, I'm praying they, they can take it, you know, to play off the test. Because that, 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 that stuff makes us look good. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and to be able to bring the big on the massive scale, it feels real good, man. It feels super good. Willie Anderson, thanks so much for joining us again. Congratulations on becoming a first-time finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and best of luck in two weeks. Thanks, Willie. Yeah, very much. Thanks, Willie. Got it. As Hall of Fame finalist, Willie Anderson and Ira. The key is just simply getting in that room. So him getting in that room is a big deal. Now he really has to stay in there. He really has to stay and move forward. That's the key, Clark. You know, the more you look with Willie Anderson, the more you like. He's like one of these guys, Clark, you and I used to talk about Will Shields. He, he doesn't yeah. have any blemishes. No blemishes. And um, and that makes him a compelling candidate. To, to me, he's, he's much like you. The more you hear, the more you like. <laughs> well, you're about to hear something else, Clark, from me. Whoa, listen to that. The fans are going crazy, Ira. That must be a, I was there. So where were you and when were you? Clark, it was uh, almost on this date, uh, 33, uh, 34 years ago, January 17, 1988. Clark, you might have been at the game. You might have been. Uh, Broncos, Browns, AFC Championship game, uh, Mile High Stadium, wind chill, 21 degrees, Clark, 21, Mile High Stadium, and it's back and forth. It's back and forth. Ernest Byner's having a heck of a game, Clark, 187 yards from scrimmage, a couple of touchdowns, and... Elway leads the Broncos, and they take, you know, a 38-31 lead. Minute and a half left. Here comes Bernie Kosar. They're driving, Clark. They're driving. And here come the Browns. They're at the eight-yard line. 
They're going in for the tying touchdown. Looks like we got overtime. And they give the ball to Ernest Biner. He goes off the left side, Clark. He starts up the middle. He veers left. He's got a nice hole. It looks like he's going in. At least get a first down. And some nondescript defensive back, Clark, named Jeremiah Castile. I remember him. And yes, Ian, he was drafted by the Tampa Bay Bucks. <laughs> Jeremiah Castile. He reaches out with his hand, Clark, and he strips the ball at the goal line. And the Broncos hold on. They take a automatic safety on purpose. Final score, 38-33. And Clark, the year before, it's known as the drive. This year, same two teams known as the fumble. Yeah. The fumble. Yeah, I was not there. I, I was in Washington, D.C., watching the Washington then Redskins beat Minnesota. I remember watching it on TV and an audible gasp from the reporters. Press row going, oh, my God, he fumbled. They've done it again. They've done it again. I do remember that. Um, poor anyway, Marty, couple, you know, poor, poor Marty Schottenheimer club. Yeah, poor yeah, Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah, cursed. A um, couple last things I want to get from you, Ira. First off, I want to ask one other question about Willie Anderson. Who do you think is the next Bengal to go in? Because only one Bengal is there who spent most of his who spent most of his career with Cincinnati. Only one. That's Anthony Munoz. So who's the next one to go in? Willie Anderson, Ken Riley, or Ken Anderson? The next one to go in is Willie Anderson because I believe he's staying in that room until he gets in. It yeah. might take it might take three years. It might, but I think Willie Anderson's going to have a gold jacket. And you and I are going to be celebrating when that happens, uh, along with our good friend from Cincinnati, Clark, who, who will be absolutely jubilant. And I don't know. I think Ken Riley's going a little bit backwards. And as you called it, Clark, it's the abyss. No, yeah. all bets are off when you're in the senior poll. All absolutely. bets are off. Absolutely. Um, secondly, down there in your state, Ian, Ira, in your state, Florida, Jacksonville fans, they're showing up this weekend clown costumes i thought it was just the jaguars who showed up in clown costumes jags have been three and 29 the last two years you guys going to that game are you going you're going south you're not going west but you guys wearing clown costumes yeah reminds me uh ian wasn't that the saints with the bags over their heads years ago was, i think it was. i think it was yeah that it was, that yeah. it was. And, and no i i don't venture over to that part of the state that's uh, that's okay. that's off limits for me it, it you know was, clark uh speaking of the jacks clark um they are interested in both Byron Leftwich uh, and Todd Bowles. So yeah. those guys are fighting for the same job right now in Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I don't care. Just as long as they don't take Ian Glendon away from us, okay? <laughs> we, we are not granting them permission. And, and lastly, Ira, this is a Hall of Fame-themed show, right? Hall of Fame-themed yep. show. So Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, David Bowie, 75th birthday on Saturday. Of course, he passed away. But in celebration of that birthday, Sirius Radio is having a limited run David Bowie program until January 18th. And I mentioned that to you because you are on Sirius radio. You're a multimedia star, Ira. So does this, does this kind of get under your skin here? I mean, do you like that? You're a Bowie fan. I think you're a rock and roll fan. These are my golden years over here. Clark. There you go. Uh, ch -ch Changes Clark. And uh, <laughs> you know, Sirius is making a, a smart move. Uh, I'd rather hear Bowie all day long. Clark than Billy than the Billy Joel channel. There you go. Long. No panic in Detroit then, right? No panic in Detroit. <laughs> okay, Ira, final thoughts. What do you got? Final thoughts. 
Well, we're, we're, we're thinking about what the, what the Washington football team. Clark. You're ahead of me, Ira. You're ahead of me. That's my final thought. What is your oh. final thought? All right, my final thought, and Ian does, isn't going to want to hear it, although he might agree with it. Uh, Clark, I, I got to say, as a keen observer of the local football team, um, I, I don't think they have it this year. No shame, Clark. I mean, you know, 31 teams aren't going aren't gonna, aren't gonna to raise that Vince Lombardi trophy. It, it just doesn't look like it's the Bucks year. It just it doesn't feel like that. Uh, Ian, do you disagree? No, I, I don't I don't necessarily disagree. I, I would never write off a, a Tom Brady team, but the injuries are piling up, the the you know, the situations are, are starting to stack up and this is the time of year that you, you need to see sixty minutes. So it's tough. It's gonna be a tough one for him. Yeah, it's also COVID. It's someone said it's like it's gonna be the COVID Super Bowl. That's gonna play havoc with all these teams as it is right now. But Ira, since you mentioned the Washington football team, yes, since you mentioned them, uh, they announced that they're going to they're going to reveal their nickname on February 2nd. Appropriate since it's Groundhog Day, but February 2nd. And there are several selections that are under consideration. Oh, the Ar- oh. The, yeah, there are uh, the Armada, which makes no sense. I mean, <laughs> what kind of Armada is crossing the Potomac River, for God's sakes? The Brigade, <laughs> the Commanders. The defenders, the presidents, the Red Hogs, and the Washington football team. So I don't really like any of them. I don't. I want to ask you guys, and Ira, I will start with you. I would like to ask you for your suggestion of a nickname for the Washington football team. Whoever came up with those those names is is not uh, should be barred from being an advertising executive, Clark. <laughs> there you um, go. I'm going with this. Uh, sounds a little crazy, but I think you'd get used to it. The Washington loyalists, the loyalists. Try that one, Glendon. <laughs> I'm going to go with one that I'm actually already used to, and we've heard for the last couple of years because I kind of like chaos. Just keep it the Washington football team. Imagine that, all this oh, hype oh. just to, uh, oh. you know, the classic, you know, reveal the face where it's the same face situation. This is exactly what it is. They'll reveal the logo. And it'll be the exact same. <laughs> the exact same thing. That sounds like a soccer team, though, doesn't yeah. it, Ian? Washington football team? Exactly. Well, I mean, hey, they might as well play soccer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, what I, do you I, got, Clark? What I'm you going got, in Clark? a different direction. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be the Washington filibusters because if they beat the <laughs> Eagles twice a year, you can call them the Philly Busters. You know what? And the thing about that name is it it should keep people talking a long time about them. Anyway. <laughs> That's going to do it because I know we're going to call the end of this show. We're going to call it over <laughs> because that's what it is. If you want to find this or any podcast, other podcasts, um, you just go to fullpresscoverage.com and you pull down podcast from the toolbar and click on I test for two. And I'm going to tell you, you can verify this. It's so easy that Ira Kaufman can do it. Ira, you've done it. It's easy, right? Ian, uh, are we gaining any listeners, Mr. Glendon? What, what's going on with the ratings? It, they're, they're skyrocketing because the access is so easy. The access is so easy. You can access it from Miami, Ira. That's how easy it is. Anyway, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.